Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. Those of you who were at uh, the midweek series in 1 Thessalonians um, last spring, spring 21, uh, will uh, know this passage and you'll be hearing a lot of uh, familiar stuff uh, from it today. But I think it's a really helpful passage uh, for us as Christians as we think about the practicalities of living out the Christian life on a daily basis, from Monday to Saturday, day by day, what does it mean to be a Christian? And so we're going to read the first 12 verses of First Thessalonians and chapter 4. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Amen. Well, we thank God for his truth. Let's come before him in prayer and ask for his help to understand it together. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is given to Uh, correct and rebuke and train us in righteousness. And so we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each one of our hearts now as we hear your word expounded in our presence. Oh God, we need your help. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back whenever I was in college uh, studying for the ministry a a friend of mine and I had this running conversation about what sermon we would most be looking forward to preaching whenever we entered our own charge and one of the sermons that kept coming back to us was this one a sermon on first Thessalonians chapter four it was a sermon that we entitled at the time boring boring Christians Boring, boring Christians. You can see what Paul teaches there in chapter 4, verse 11. That's where we got the title from. 
What does Paul say? That we should aspire. What should we aspire to? To lead quiet lives. To mind our own business. And to work with our own hands. Boring, boring Christians. It has to be admitted that the reason we came to that conclusion was a little bit as a reaction to the upbringing we had both had within the church. The upbringing that I had was that at every youth rally, at every event, at every SU meeting, there would be a speaker there telling a bunch of teenagers about the potential in the room to change the world for Jesus. There was even a song that we could sing, a song by a band called Delirious. The song was called History Maker. The chorus went, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. What I feel to grasp as a teenager is that being a history maker, changing the world for Jesus, doesn't actually look all that exciting. The speaker would ramp us up, we would be worked up, we would be filled with adrenaline, ready to go out and change the world. But the truth is, and you can see it here in the Bible, what what is Paul calling the Thessalonians to? It's not a life filled with worldly excitement and adrenaline. It's a simple life, a plain life, a life that some people might say is boring. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands. Be a boring Christian. But it's not boring, is it? The truth is that living this life that we're called to by the scriptures is revolutionary. It's revolutionary. In the world that we live in, leading a quiet life is revolutionary. We live in a world of people who are out to please themselves. We live in a world that lives by slogans like just do it. If it pleases you, go ahead and do it. We live in a world which People live for the excitement of the weekend. You've heard that. We live in a world where people are looking for the next high, whether that high comes from alcohol or drugs or from a like on a social media post. We live in a world obsessed with celebrity and fame. So living a quiet life, is really quite revolutionary. You can see in chapter 4, verse 1, if you look down to verse 1, Paul uses these words, urge and exhort. Two words which means he really wants to press something on the Christians living in Thessalonica. And this is is really him turning from one part of a letter to another. You You can see he starts with the word finally. These are his final thoughts. If you were part of our Bible study back in uh, spring 2021, or if you've read Thessalonians yourself, you'll know that this is a practical letter. It's immensely practical. But like a lot of Paul's teaching in the New Testament, what he does in the first three chapters is, is lay out truth. He deals with who the Thessalonians are. He talks about their faith based in the truth of Jesus Christ. 
He affirms them that their faith in Jesus is genuine. But he doesn't put a lot of flesh on the bones in, in terms of how to live. He, he told them that their faith should work out in practice, that their love should labour, but he doesn't actually give a lot of practical advice. But when we get to chapter 4, it changes, and, and he begins to give some specifics. But before we turn to those specifics, I want you to notice something important about the Christian life. If you look again at verse 1 of chapter 4, you can see what it is that Paul urges and exhorts. It's that the Thessalonians should abound more and more. That they will walk in a way that pleases God. And so this means that as Christians, our lives are not lived in an armchair. The Christian life is not about sitting, it's about walking. We grow, we develop, we abound. It's not just more, it's more and more. The Christian life is a life of growth, development. There were many in older evangelical movements who preached a gospel of salvation that was something like this. You need to get saved. You need to book your ticket to heaven. And when you've got that ticket, you need to hold on tight until you get there. But that's not what Paul is urging or exhorting at all. Paul wants the Thessalonians to keep living life in this world. And as they do, grow, develop in their knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus. That's what God wants for each one of us. That we develop, that we don't stay static that we continually put sin to death in our lives and, and grow in holiness. That we daily become more and more like Jesus in the way that we think and act. And just as a, a person grows and matures physically throughout their life, so a Christian should grow and mature spiritually. Well, let's look again then at the instructions that Paul gives in this passage we're going to approach it in two ways. We're going to think, first of all, about the practical, uh, the nitty-gritty of how we're to live in this world. And then secondly, we're going to think a little bit about the theology. Uh, but it is my hope, as you would expect, that the practical is theological and the theology is practical. So first of all, what about the practical? What does it mean to be a Christian when the rubber hits the road? Paul begins in verses 3 to 8 by speaking about sexual purity. I think it's at least interesting that he does so. This is an issue which needed talked about at that time, in the very earliest days of the church. We can probably be convinced today that things are at an all-time low, but the truth is that we're not the first generation of Christians who have had to deal with these issues. Sexual purity is something that's always been important in the Church of Christ. It's been relevant throughout the ages. And this letter to the Thessalonians has much to say to our young people, and not least in this exhortation to remain sexually pure. That doesn't mean it's only relevant to our young people. 
But here is what is important to say for all of us. There is only one place where sexual activity is permitted, and that is in the marriage of one man to one woman. There are many reasons for that. We don't have time to get into them all today. Let me mention a few. First, it's what God's word teaches. We shouldn't need any more reason than that. But it's also good to know that God's word is not only true, it's also wise. So it's wise that sex remains within the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. And the reason for that is why it's wise is that it's only that relationship that can carry the weight of both the emotional and physical consequences of sex. The emotional vulnerability that comes through a sexual relationship is not to be underestimated. Only the depth of love and commitment found in marriage can support that vulnerability. Also, the the physical consequences of sex are, are often obvious. Children, and where possible, children are best brought up within a family unit having both a mother and a father. So God's word says so, and only marriage can support the weight of sex. But let's return to our passage because you can see in verse 5 that Paul uses this as an example of how Christians ought to live lives which are different to their Gentile neighbours. Saving sex for marriage is something Christians do to remain a distinctive identity in a world that treats sex as a pastime and therefore disregards God. And so I would add my exhortation to Paul's Please keep yourselves sexually pure. Keep sex for marriage. Do not live according to the customs of this world, which say try before you buy. Be a a boring Christian. In the church, we remain or we maintain a, a distinct identity as Christian people by being different from the world. We move on to verses 9 to 10. Here, Paul again encourages us to love one another. Again, very practical advice. He says it's something he shouldn't need to write about. Isn't it obvious that in the Christian church we should love one another? But again, it's not static. It's something that increases. It grows. It's more and more. Our Lord Jesus said this is how people would know we are his disciples, that we love one another. And so your love for the people sitting around you today is a practical day-to-day outworking of the gospel. It shows those around us what a blessing it is to be part of the church. And then we come to verses 11 and 12. These boring, boring Christian verses. There is a current writer and thinker called Jordan Peterson Some of you will have heard of Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist and he's become very popular over the internet in the last few years. He's not a Christian, but he is an influential person, especially it would seem for young men. He's very influential. And one of the big things that Peterson teaches is personal responsibility. He wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. And one of the rules is this, set your own house in order before you criticise the world. 
And he makes a really big deal out of something like young people who are happy to go on marches about global warming. About young people who are happy to, to Instagram about global warming from a smartphone which probably was produced using lots of carbon. And he says to those young people, before you start complaining about the mess that the world is in, why don't you take a look at your own bedroom? He says you can't take anybody seriously whenever they're telling you how to change the world, whenever they can't even fix their own bed sheets. He's sort of retelling the story of the boy on the beach. Have you heard the story of the boy on the beach? There's, there's hundreds of thousands of starfish on the beach and they're all drying out. And this little boy was walking along the beach and he was lifting one starfish at a time and throwing them back into the ocean. And a passerby said to the boy, you can't possibly help all the starfish. And the boy replied, no, but I can help this one. And he lifted another one and threw it into the sea. Both of those examples are really borrowing from the biblical wisdom that Paul gives here in this passage. Paul basically says to the Thessalonians, look, don't worry about changing the world. God will take care of that. You should take care of your own affairs, of your own life. And the amazing thing is that by doing so, Within a few centuries, God used boring Christians living boring lives to turn the world upside down. The entire Roman Empire was converted to Christianity because of individuals taking personal responsibility, leading quiet lives, minding their own business, working with their own hands. Those aren't easy things to do. They require a lot of discipline from us. But they are the urging and exhorting of the Apostle Paul. It's really practical advice for each one of us as we seek to live out our, our daily lives as Christians. One of the great rediscoveries at the time of the Reformation was something called the priesthood of all believers. And the priesthood of all believers was a biblical reaction and response to the thought of the day that priests and nuns and monks were the truly holy people, those who, who took what are called the holy orders. But at the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther argued that the Bible teaches something else. He argued the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. That is that all people who are born again have a duty from God. We all have holy orders as such. We have duty towards one another inside the church. We have duty towards those outside the church and we have duty to God. What this meant is that there are no people who are truly holy and then some sort of lower class. But that the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker could and should all glorify God uh, in, in his own daily calling. Just as the minister glorifies God in his. Loving your neighbour is carried out as much by a mother or a father changing a nappy as by a preacher. I think 
Today we have a tendency to return to pre-Reformation thought. We do have a tendency to elevate people like missionaries and ministers. We say things like, he or she is really living for God. But look at what Paul urges here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Lead quiet lives. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. Lead boring lives. That's not to say that missionaries are not serving God. Of course they are. Of course they are loving their neighbour. But my encouragement to you today is simply to say that you can do the same in your own day-to-day life, week by week. You don't have to become a missionary to serve God. So the Christian life might be something that could be described as, as boring, but it's actually an incredibly difficult life to live, to be so different from the world. God's word is for our good and the good of those around us. Well, I want to move us to a, a bit of a conclusion by thinking a little of the theological side of all of this. In verse 3, if you, if you go back to verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul uses a word which describes the process that we think of as the Christian life. A word which describes what happens after we get saved. You see it there in verse 3? Paul says it's the will of God. The will of God is your sanctification. There are many people who want to know the will of God for their life. Well, there it is. Your sanctification. Sanctification is the process of of living the Christian life in the way the Bible teaches. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more and more pure and blameless and holy. The Shorter Catechism uh, describes sanctification as a work of God's grace. It's a work. In in other words, it's something that keeps on going. It's not a one and done kind of thing like justification. It's something that grows and builds. It abounds more and more. And so everything that Paul is urging us to here in this passage are really instructions for our sanctification. Paul says that's the will of God. What does God want for your life? He wants you to be sanctified. But if you'll bear with me and and, and scan just to the end of chapter 5 and verse 23. You see there in verse 23 of chapter 5, what Paul says, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's important. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. What is God doing? He is sanctifying you. Paul gives a whole list of things here that we can do for our sanctification, but he also prays that God would sanctify us. And so we see that in sanctification, there's a a mystery. God works in us to cleanse us from all sin, but the way God works in us is through us working out what he has worked in. It's through us taking to heart the instructions that are found here and, and elsewhere in the Bible. It's through us seeking to live lives that are holy and pure and blameless. Your sanctification is God's will and it is God's work. And the way that God carries it out is for you to join in what he's doing. 
If you go home and read through this chapter again and maybe read on to the end of chapter 5, you'll see that throughout, Paul keeps pointing us to God. Time and time again, he speaks about what God is doing, what God has done. He speaks about the will of God and the word of God. He speaks about the Holy Spirit as our leader and guide. All along, he's trying to push us back to God. He's encouraging us to look to God in all things. If God speaks in his word, which he does, then we should trust it. We should test things against God's word. And by doing so, we will hold fast to what is good and we will abstain from evil. We will be sanctified. So if you're unsure about how to live your life, if, if you're unsure what to do in a certain situation or a certain life circumstance, and I'm sure that many of us face those questions. Should I leave my job? Should I change jobs? Should I move house? Should I go out with him or her? How should I spend my money? There are so many other questions that you might face in life. I hope that you see how the practical and the theological combine here. If you want to know God's will in your life, then think about your sanctification. What's going to be good for your holiness? What's going to be good for your purity? Think about the body of Christ that is the church. Should I go out with him or her? Well, if you're a Christian and he or she is not a Christian, then that's not going to be good for your purity. The Bible tells us the answers to these things, but we've got to think for ourselves in it as well. But there's a reason why Paul keeps pushing us back to God. And this is what I'll finish with. This is too heavy a burden for us to carry on our own. We're going to mess up. We're going to succumb to sexual temptation. We will mind other people's business as well as our own. We can't do all the things that Paul exerts, exhorts and urges us to in these verses. But we can rely on God to do them in us. God has begun a good work in you through the death and resurrection of Christ. If you're trusting in Jesus. God has called you to faith in Jesus. And he will continue that work that he's called us to. He will sanctify you completely. And so keep looking to him. God will make sure that your whole spirit, soul and body is preserved blameless. He who calls you is faithful. And he also will do it. Let me pray for us.